If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We're going to look at several passages this morning. As a believer, we all know that Christmas and Easter are just big days in the Christian year, right? And we make such a big deal about them at the church, special worship services, just traditions that, that we have added on to it as well, make some very special and, and very holy days, but sometimes it, it uh, works against us in this way. Sometimes then when we think about Jesus, God the Son, we only think about him as the baby born in Bethlehem, God incarnate, and the, the Savior who dies on a cross for our sins. Now, absolutely, those two things are incredible. That God became like us and, and that he loved us enough to die on the cross for us. I certainly don't want to diminish that, but the truth is we leave a lot of the breadth and the depth of who Jesus is when we think of those two things alone. And so in this series on God, we're looking at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and a lot of the attributes of God, not all of them, he's infinite and we're finite we'll we'll never uncover it all but in this message today i want us to see the majesty of the son of god i want us to see the mind of the son of god i want us to see the manner of the son of god and i want us to see the mission that the son of god gives you and me let's pray together today father as we look to the son we pray, first of all, that our, our worship already this morning has lifted his name above others and that we have cleared our minds of all the things that will distract us from thinking about him, loving him, and praising him. Father, we pray that you'll open up our eyes to see the truth, that we might live by it. We, hope that we, we pray, Father, that you'll open up our hearts to be transformed by your Holy Spirit and the love of your son Jesus our Savior and father we pray that you will break our wills mold our wills to match your will for us on this earth in Christ's name I pray amen Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 <clears throat> excuse me long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into this world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, 
has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. You know, this passage in the book of Hebrews is perhaps the the best passage in the New Testament to understand the nature of God the Son. And if I had to boil it all down to, to one word, I think I would pull out that word majesty. And we've sung the majesty of of Jesus this morning in both of our worship services. Last week, we, we looked at God as Father. And I suggested to us three takeaways. When we see God as Father, we are moved to obey Him. When we see God as Father, we're moved to see our brothers and sisters, other believers, as people created in the image of God and and we need to treat them in that way and and then as it, when we see God as father we we are moved to say hey he's got this no matter what circumstance no matter what crossroads no matter what situation conflict trouble hurdle that you face God our father has this and we can trust in him today i want us to look at the significance of God the Son. What does it mean that our God is the Son of God? The writer of Hebrews identifies two periods in his communicating um, his plan of redemption for, for man. You have the Old Testament prophets. Hebrews tells us this. Long ago, he spoke to us about this redemptive plan through the prophets. But now in these last days, he's speaking to us through God the Son. He calls these the last days because the coming of of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into the world was the decisive word of God. There is no third period of God communicating to us. There is the Old Testament and there is after Christ came into this world. I like the way Pastor John Piper puts it. He, He said, everything in history is either explanation that's the Old Testament, or application of the meaning of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And, and we looked in verse 2, the, the second half of that, that God has appointed His Son, Jesus Christ, to be heir of all things. This means that Christ can make good on all those promises of the Old Testament because in the end, Everything will belong to Christ. He he is the heir of all. He will own it. He will rule it. And so he can make everything serve the joy of his people. All all that you need for for the joy that God intends for you to have, which is much greater than all the joy that we think we need. His joy is perfect. Our, Our joy is often tainted. Everything we need for that joy, Jesus owns because he's the heir of all things. Not only because he did all that the Father asked him to do, he was an obedient son, not only because he did all of that on on the cross, but also because through him, God created the world. Jesus, God the Son, is the creator of the world. Therefore, he owns everything in the world. And the aim of the writer in Hebrews, this is an incredible passage. The aim is for him 
for us to, to put our attention on Jesus Christ. You can't read this passage without thinking, without focusing on Jesus, God the Son. He also wants us to admire God the Son. He wants us to trust in God the Son. He, he wants us to pledge our allegiance, put our, uh, our whole life in His hands. I'm, I'm yours. And He wants us to worship God the Son. So when you read this passage, at least 12 things point to the majesty of Jesus. And I want us to run through those and then find some application. Verse 2 reads, But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. When you look at that verse, you see at least three things about Jesus, God the Son. He is God's son. Now, that may sound redundant, and that may sound like, well, of course, but you need to understand that when Jesus walked on this earth, that was one of the questions many had. How in the world could he be the son of God? He walks around like one of us. He was born of Mary, you know, a woman. How can this be the son of God? Verse 2 says he is the son of God. Verse 2 says he is the heir of of all things and verse 2 says he is the creator God of the universe we talked about that last week as we talked about God the father in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth God there Elohim plural indicate and, and the verb created is singular indicates not three different people but an entity greater than than we can explain in a singular form also Tipping, God tipping his hat to the fact that there is this mystery of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, a mystery that we cannot completely explain because he's infinite and we're finite, but a mystery that we grow to love more and more as we learn more and more the depth of what it means that God is Father and what it means that, that God is Son. Verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds the universe in the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 3 tells us that not only is He the Son of God, but he is God. It says He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact, not a duplicate, not, not a replica, not a facsimile. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Verse 3 tells us He is the Word of God. John 1, 1, you know that one. We use it all the time. In the beginning was, I mean, I'm back in Genesis, aren't I? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It does mirror Genesis chapter 1. It also tips its hat to God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as you read the rest of that beautiful prologue. And we're reminded in Genesis that it is the very Word of God that speaks creation into being. He speaks light, and there is light. He speaks plants, and there are plants. His word creates but not only does his word create the power of his word sustains it said he upholds the universe in the word of his power verse 3 tells us he is our priest after making purification for sins in the old testament priest would go to the temple they would offer a sacrifice 
to pay the penalty of the sins of the people. And they had to do that on a continual basis. But in the New Testament, Jesus came. He was the sacrifice. He gave his life, sacrificed for us to pay for our sins. He is not only God and the word of God, he is our priest. And verse 3 tells us he's king. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, we live in, in a culture that is kind of negative towards kings, do we not? In fact, didn't the beginning of our history as a nation start with an international war we created to get rid of a king? Absolutely it did. And so our mindset of independence and, and we're not going to have a king, uh, so sometimes we come to the scripture and we read king and, and we look at it as negatively. But we, we all want that king, that father, that authority in our lives. We want someone that we're held accountable to, but someone that also protects us and provides for us and, and cares for us and sets safe boundaries around us. And our God, Jesus, God the Son, is our King. Verse 4 through 7 reads, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent, excellent than theirs, for to which of the angels did God say, You're my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn, that's Jesus, God the Son, into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels, winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. Some people today just see God up here, and then they think there's Jesus over here, and there's angels over here, and no. It's the Trinity, God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit, three in one. Jesus is creator God of the universe, and an angel is part of the creation. An angel is a creature. Jesus created those angels, and he, he can call those angels at his service, at his beck and call, at any time he wants to. Jesus is superior to angels. Verse 8 reads, but of the Son, he says, and this is an interesting verse. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So let's look at that a little closer. But of the Son, that's Jesus, he says, who is he? That's God the Father. So let me expound it this way. But of the Son, God the Father says, your throne, O God. Who is God the Father talking to? He's talking to God the Son. And what does he call him? Oh, God. Jesus is God. He, he's also king. The scepter, that's a tool of the king of uprightness, is the scepter of his kingdom. He is eternal. It says, your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. And he is completely righteous. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And what's his kingdom? Well, he created it all. So his righteousness infiltrates all. Our God is king, eternal, and righteous. Verse 9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness before your 
companions. So God the Son loves righteousness, hates wickedness. His life is sinless. That's the reason God the Son's death on the cross can pay for all of our sins for all of eternity, all of time, not just for one person's sins for a few days or months or until they sin again. Our, our, our God, the Son of God, Jesus, is sinless. Verse 10 says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You'll row them up like a garment. They'll be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. What does this tell us about Jesus, God the Son? He is pre-existent. God did not create Jesus, and then the two of them created the earth. He is pre-existent with God. He is in the beginning with the creation he is pre-existent the scripture tells us again another um, tip to the hat that he is eternal and that he is the same forever those of us who are believers know in our past that we counted on God for the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of all eternity the trouble is we live life and we get messy Sometimes we forget what he's done for us in the past. But the scripture says he is the same today as he was yesterday. The same grace that saved me from my sin yesterday is the same grace that brings forgiveness today. And it's the same grace that will bring forgiveness tomorrow as we go in confession and trust to him. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. And tomorrow. So, what does the majesty, and, and I know we've flown through those incredible verses this morning, and, and each one, each word is, is worthy of a, an, an entire series, much less a, a sermon on its own. But when you boil this down and you look at it, what does the majesty of God, the Son, mean to me? As I was studying the, the passage, I ran across a sermon that Piper preached. The year before he retired as lead pastor of Bethlehem, that he'd been there for 36 or so years, he did not retire from ministry. He's still serving, writing, preaching, teaching, leading in, in many ways, but no longer as lead pastor. And this is about eight years ago, I believe. And, and he wrote a sermon in which he said this, I am amazed that I am still a Christian. And I thought, where's he going with this? I'm amazed that I'm still a pastor, he wrote. I, I'm amazed that I'm still a faithful husband, and I'm amazed that I'm still a loving father. And I thought, okay, is he bragging about himself? All right, after all these years, he's still all these things. Look at me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a believer. I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a father. No. It was very self-deprecating. As I read the rest of his message, it was obvious that he realized were it not for the majesty of Jesus, he would, of his own weakness and his own sin, given up on parenting and given up on marriage and given up on pastoring and giving up on being a follower of Jesus Christ, he realized that it was only by the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, God the Son, that he was still 
involved in those things and believing and trusting, not living a perfect life by any means, but still committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I need to understand that the only way for us to follow the will of God is through the grace of the gospel applied to our hearts and our lives every single day. The gospel is not just for our salvation back when we trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's every bit that. But the gospel still, every day, is the grace Jesus Christ working in your life. The word of his power upholding your universe, your ability to be a good husband, a good follower of Christ, a good parent, whatever else it is that God has called you to do. Don't miss out on these truths this morning. We owe every good thing that is part of our life to the majesty of Jesus. He's the creator of it all. We owe him gratitude because everything that we need was created by him. Our righteousness before God is totally dependent on the sinless nature of Jesus and his grace in our lives, dying on the cross for our sins. He was our high priest. And our eternal hope is based completely on the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What you trusted in him yesterday you can trust in Him today. And what you trust in Him today, you can trust in Him for all of eternity. That is the majesty of Jesus. Now I want us to look at the mind of Jesus. And I think the, the very best New Testament passage is to look at Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. God's Word says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves. This is the mind of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews is suggesting that you and I need to have the same mind. We need to adopt the same attitude. We need to look at things the same way that Jesus looks at things. And how is it? that he looks it says which is i mean who jesus though he was in the form of god did not think equality with god something to be grasped here is a paradox jesus god the son is equal to god the father but at the same time chooses to be submissive to the father equality and submission hand in hand we're going to look at how that applies in life in just a minute so hang on to that but let's look at verse 7 he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men in this verse you see how selfless and how sacrificial Jesus Christ is it, it goes on in the next verse and, and we see that theme of sacrifice as well but he emptied himself he gave up who 
he was on this earth for us. He gave up his very life for us. He was selfless. That didn't mean he did not think correctly about himself. It meant that he thought about us before he thought about himself. He was sacrificial for us. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see his humility and you see his obedience in this verse as well. Not only did he look at us in high regard, but in his submission and his sacrifice, he obeyed the will of the Father. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, with the cross laying before him, thinking about what he was going to have to endure, he actually prayed, Father, if there's a, a plan B, if there's another thing that we can do to, to uh, affect the same thing, can we do it that way? Can, uh, how about if I come up a plan? That's basically what he's saying. But in the midst of praying to God, because he's totally submissive to the will of God, he turned and he said, no, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Obedience. And then look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God. You know, one of the hardest concepts for us to grasp is that paradox of equality and submission. We tend to think, if I am submissive, it must mean I'm not equal. Or, if I am equal, then I do not have to be submissive. Many of you may be able to, to give testimony to this. Have you ever worked, and, and don't raise your hand or or, you know, say yes out loud, because they may be in the room right now. So, have you ever worked for a boss that was not as smart or as capable as you were? Yeah, I see some heads just slightly nodding, because you're afraid somebody may see that, right? And how do you handle that? When you realize, I'm equal to this person, maybe I'm even higher, better skilled have more knowledge, more experience. So I'm at least equal with this person, but they're the boss. So you can choose, you can choose to buck against that and not be submissive. And, and I would suggest when you do that, then you're very fortunate if you keep a job, right? Or you can say, you know, I am equal, but I'm choosing to be submissive because that is my role in this relationship. You know, the Bible says there are roles for husbands and wives. And this is a teaching that our culture absolutely despises, rejects right now. In fact, many in the church find it very hard to stomach as well, but it's biblical. The husband is the head and the wife is submissive. And many have rejected this biblical teaching and failed to receive the beautiful benefits of a biblical marriage because they have thought erroneously that if I'm equal, I don't have to be submissive, or if I am submissive, it must mean I'm not equal. But yet, God gave us these roles, and Jesus modeled it perfectly. 
He is the Son of God, equal to God, but chose to be submissive. In his submission, he never gave up being God. But being God, he never rejected being obedient to the Father. And you know what happened in this relationship? God the Father exalted Jesus the Son above every other name. Because of this submission. So here's the takeaway. Jesus, the Son of God, modeled for us an attitude that is biblical and profitable. Submission to God's will will lead to God exalting Him above all others. When we live a life submissive to God's will, we honor God the Father. We imitate God the Son, and the Spirit of God will empower us to do what we cannot do alone. Again, it's by God's grace that we're able to obey God's Word. There is no greater way for you to be a servant to others than to be fully submissive to God. So we've looked at the majesty of God. We've looked at the mind of God the Son. We've looked at the mind of God the Son, and now I want us to look at and think about the manner of God the Son. In John chapter 13, we're not going to read this entire passage because of time this morning. Scott alluded to it in his message a couple of weeks. I, I've alluded to this passage over and over throughout my ministry because there's no more beautiful example of the manner in which Jesus lived his life, and that manner is as a servant. It's the story of washing the disciples' feet. I remember my first trip to Ethiopia, uh, Ken Perkins, who wrote The Obedience of, of God. Uh, he, he took our team out to a restaurant. Now, we'd been to some, uh, you know, cultural Ethiopian restaurants, but this one, he said, was uh, had a Middle Eastern flair to it, and we walked in, and I saw a room, and there's carpet on the room, and we walked past that and saw another room, carpet on the room, pillows in that room. I noticed there was pillows around the perimeter of, of the room. And finally, we walked in one room, and there was no table, no chairs, just a carpet um, and, and pillows around the room. And we all sat down, kind of reclined against the pillows, and then, then the, the wait, wait staff brought the food and set it there on the floor in the middle of the carpet, and we enjoyed the meal. And the meaning of Jesus washing the disciples' feet just really hit a new level with me. I mean, when I realized I was going to have to take off my shoes, I was just praying that there was no holes in my socks and, and that my feet didn't stink. And, and I was praying that, the, that there was no holes in the socks of anyone in the room and their feet didn't stink because I was just as concerned about theirs as, as I was mine, right? And, and I realized, hey, it, it, when you eat like that, it's a really good habit to wash feet before you come in. The other thing in that story that we know is that the job of washing feet falls on the servant. And if there's not a servant, it falls on the person on the lowest rung of the ladder. And you've been in those situations before. You walk into a room and you kind of have a sense of who's going to be in that room, but you're not sure all the people, all the players. And there's the table and you're the first one there and you're thinking, I... I may wait a little bit before I take a seat because I'm not the lead of this meeting, so I don't want to sit in his or her chair. I'm not the second in command, so I probably don't want to sit on the left or the right. 
but you know what? I'm not the, I'm not the lowest in this room. I'm not going to sit at the foot of the table. So you kind of you look at the pecking order, don't you, and you find your seat. That's exactly probably what the disciples did. There's no servant in the room. Jesus is not going to wash their feet. But you know what? None of them want to wash the feet either. And finally, I mean, they were appalled. They, they were just like, oh, no, this can't be. Jesus put a towel around his waist, picked up a, a basin of water and a pitcher, and got down on his knees and washed their dirty, stinking feet. That is the manner of Jesus. He came into this world, the Son of God, God Himself, the Creator God, all the things that we've already talked about under the majesty of God and the mind of, of Christ. He took on the life of a servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of God, man came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in Luke 22, 27, for who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But, Jesus said, I am among you as the one who serves we see the beautiful magnificent and incomprehensible majesty of god the son we see the mind the attitude the humility of christ in philippians and now we see the manner of christ coming into this world to serve us all as an example because he has a mission for us to follow Matthew 20, verse 25 and 28 reads, But Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I've shown you how to live. Now I want you to go and do the same. Jesus calls us to imitate him by being a servant. This is the will of God. This is the power of God the Son. This is the wisdom of God the Son. This is the love of God the Son for each one of us in the room.